Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Hope you give them a call. Johnson'sAirConditioning.com is the website. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. To find out more, you can visit the website LifeInNaples.net. It is Christmas Eve, and we have terrific guests for today's show, including William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. We'll be visiting with Pastor Kurt Anderson. He is the pastor at the Naples Community Church. We we'll look forward to our visit with Kurt about the meaning and joy of Christmas. And Marina Berkovich, she is a survivor of Soviet Russia. She wrote a book called My Life Through My Dresses. She's also the founder and CEO of the Jewish Historical Society of Southwest Florida. It is December the 24th at Christmas Eve, and on this day in 1923, President Calvin Coolidge touched a button and light lit up the first national Christmas tree to grace the White House grounds. Not only was this the first White House community Christmas tree, but it was the first to be decorated with electric lights, a strand of 2,500 red, white, and green bulbs. The balsam firm came from Coolidge's home state of Vermont and stood 48 feet tall. Several musical groups performed at the lighting, tree lighting ceremony, including the Epiphany Church Choir at the U.S. Marine Band. Later that evening, President Coolidge and First Lady Grace were treated to carols sung by members of the Washington, D.C.'s First Congregational Church. According to the White House Historical Association, President Benjamin Harrison was the first president to set up an indoor Christmas tree for his family in 1889. It was decorated with ornaments and candles. In 1929, First Lady Lou Henry Hoover oversaw what would become an annual tradition of decorating the indoor tree. Since then, each First Lady's duties have included the trimming of an official White House tree. Coolidge's inauguration of the first outdoor and national Christmas tree initiated a tradition that has been repeated with every administration. In 1981, President Ronald Reagan began another custom by authorizing the first official White House ornament, copies of which were made available for purchase. The first Christmas tree. Well, the first great Christmas gift that the world received was the night of our Savior's birth, and its greatest gift to the world of freedom came on Christmas Eve, 1776, on the banks of the Delaware River. America. The birth of America was not easy. Only a third of the colonists supported the revolution. It pitted neighbors against neighbors. These patriots were not only rebelling against the British, they were fighting other colonists who were loyal to the British king, parliament, and to the English church. Later in 1776, the Revolutionary War looked like it was a lost cause. The patriots lacked uniforms, food, ammunition, and weapons, and some were even shoeless. There was tremendous suffering from the cold. Of course, this is the end of the Little Ice Age. And starvation... A series of defeats had defeated and depleted morale, and many had already deserted. In the bitter cold on Christmas Eve, 1776, dogged by the pelting sleet and snow, George Washington knelt in prayer at McConkie's Ferry, asking the Lord for the right words to inspire his troops to keep going. They needed to cross the Delaware River to Philadelphia for a surprise attack on the British. 
Historian James Cheatham wrote, As Washington mounted his horse that night, he pulled a draft of Thomas Paine's American Crisis from his saddlebag. As he began reading it, he knew what was the answer to his prayers. When he returned to camp, he ordered it read to his troops immediately. The summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will in this crisis shrink from the service of their country, but he that stands now by it now serves the love and thanks of men and women. Tyranny, like hell, is not easily conquered, yet we have this consolation with us, that the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. What we obtain too cheap, we esteem too lightly. It is dearest and only, then, gives a, a thing its value. Heaven knows how to uh, put proper price upon its goods, and it would be strange indeed if so celestial an article of, as freedom should not be highly rated. And, of course, that's a quote from Thomas Paine. The next morning, Christmas Day, 1776, Washington's army crossed the icy Delaware and won two crucial battles. He defeated the British at Trenton, and a week later he executed a daring night raid to capture Princeton on January the 3rd. This gave control of New Jersey to America and turned around the morale and uniform the colonial army. Washington's insightful reading of American Crisis on Christmas Eve, 1776, turned a humbling defeat into a glorious victory for the American patriots. Shortly after the war, John Adams remarked, without the pen of pain, the sword of Washington would have been wielded in vain. Washington's men basked in his victory at Trenton and since then had defeated as much mightier foe Moreover, they realized Washington was a true leader, and he could unite the colonies into a strong nation. Washington's faith in the Lord and his respect for the scholarly works of our Enlightenment thinkers like Thomas Paine, John Locke, and others would help him articulate the Philadelphia Convention and write the world's longest lasting constitution. The Lord guided Washington to victory on Christmas in 1776 at a time America needed a miracle to become a nation. He showed our founders how to form a more perfect union of states in 1787. He has continued to bless this nation in so many ways since 1776. Let's pray he will help us unite this divided nation so we can always defend our liberty. Merry Christmas. And this is a quote from George Washington. It is written in the Bible that the great author of the universe has provided man the authority for self-government. It is his providence we shall respect and guide to guide this nation. George Washington. So that happened, and you can imagine, uh, uh, just to refer you to Patrick O'Donnell's The Indispensables, what a great read about this entire period of the Revolution. really brings to life the sacrifices these great men made uh, for our liberty. <clears throat> Well, hundreds of Christmas Eve flights have been canceled as a, the fast-spreading Omicron variant takes a toll on the flight crews and other workers. Chicago-based United Airlines has canceled at least 120 flights for Friday today, while Atlanta-based Delta says it's canceled about 90, and Alaska Airlines says about 17. United and Delta say they were working to contact passengers so they would not be stranded at airports. It's been expected to be a rebound season for holiday travel. After the pandemic shut down most of it in 2020, travelers were told they should brace for long waits at airports and lengthy traffic on roads as an estimated 109 million people are set to travel between December the 23rd and, November, and uh, uh, January the 2nd this year, a 34% increase from the same period in 2020. So if you're not traveling, I think you're pretty lucky. If you are having, traveling or having people travel to you, uh, just uh, hope that they'll be able to make it 
And one of these, they're not on schedule on one of these flights that have been canceled. President uh, Joe Biden's staffers at the White House are eyeing the exits, citing dissatisfaction with the president and his staff's leadership. Politico's West Wing Playbook reports uh, several White House staff complaining of low morale while warning of higher than usual turnover in 2022. One official spoke of a failure to rally the troops with team building and coordination. Happy hours and group dinners are not working and a sense of teamwork and appreciation is not happening. The feeling is, staffers say, it's insular, top-heavy, West Wing, where aides distance themselves from the rest of the staff. Biden is also as distant and invisible, and some staffers have not even been able to visit the White House with the reported problems mirroring those afflicting the vice president, Kamala Harris, and her staff. It's also hypocritical and ironic that a president whose brand is to build empathy and a family of staff policies that fly in the face of this brand, an official complained. It's not a good look, and it's emblematic of how this place runs. Biden only keeps a small group close, aides say, and there are no new friends in the Biden world. The Christmas season was particularly depressing for the many staffers as they were unable to bring friends and family to see the White House decorations. Other points at the lack of consistency at the White House messaging during the coronavirus crisis. The White House uh, lottery system used to select those who got to visit and who did, got left out. And a lot of staffers out of the queue at, uh, as D.C. randos were uh, posting pictures on their social media. Only three days were opened up for decoration tours. And the White House did not respond to a request uh, for comment. So you know, a dour attitude, certainly the leadership that Washington displayed getting ready to cross the Delaware was, isn't occurring right now in the White House, according to uh, many who work there. Senator Rand Paul, uh, he's a Republican from Kentucky, of course, in the issuance of his annual Festivus report, a kind of a takeoff on the Jerry uh, Seinfeld show, revealed that the government wasted $52,598 million uh, the Paul, who sits as a ranking member of the Senate Subcommittee of Emerging Threats and Spending Oversight, divided in his report the government's wasteful spending in subcategories, which included such areas as COVID-19, Afghanistan, and other miscellaneous areas. For COVID, Paul detailed that the $4.29 billion for the Paycheck Protection Program went to people who did not qualify. $36 billion in unemployment was paid improperly with a significant portion attributable to fraud. And $4.5 million was spent on grinding up ferrets to develop COVID and flu vaccines. Additionally, the report details $465,000 was issued as a grant to study pigeons' gambling habits with the hope to understand human gambling habits better. $11.3 million went to instructing the people of Vietnam to stop burning their trash. <laughs> I'm not making this up. And 361000 was issued as a grant to see if letting kids eat junk food makes them want to eat more. No matter how much money's already been wasted, politicians keep demanding even more, the report stated. So thank you, Rand Paul, for that, for the Festivus report. <laughs> so interesting. Uh, just, uh, I think, a reminder <clears throat> that if something needs to be done, we shouldn't default to the government to get it done. There's always a political uh, price to be paid for putting money through the government to get programs in place. 
Uh, we should handle everything but our defense, our common defense, protecting us from internal and external predators, if possible. We should keep everything else in the private sector. Well, Fox News host and Daily Caller co-founder Tucker Carlson said Tuesday that the unprecedented, unprecedentedly low polling numbers of the Democrat Party indicates its collapse. If these new polling numbers are right, even if they're just sort of right, this is the end of the Democrat Party as a governing majority, Carlson said of the results of a poll released Monday that showed President Biden's approval rating among independent voters to be only 29 percent. The NPR PBS NewsHour Marist poll put Biden's approval rating at 41 percent. And I think that's quite high considering coming from a, a liberal source probably uh, peppered with too many Democrats and liberals. But nevertheless, with those disapproving of his job, making up 55 percent of the 1,400 surveyed, the results marked the president's lowest approval rating since taking office when compared to earlier polls conducted by Marist. The host of Fox News, Tucker Carlson, tonight likened the Democrat Party to financial markets, noting that both appear strongest right before they collapse. The Democrat Party is still in power, and that's a very bad combination for the rest of us. Regimes in decline tend to become dangerous. As they weaken, they can increasingly uh, become desperate and ruthless, Carlson said. They've been rejected by voters. Democracy doesn't work for them anymore. That means that they can no longer operate within Democrat boundaries, he added. So inevitably, they swerve outside those boundaries. They invent domestic enemies and national panics to keep themselves in charge. And that's what we're watching happen right now, said Carlson. So he indicates this is a pretty dangerous time for our republic. We need to uh, take care and understand what's going on. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, William Yateman, research fellow at the Cato Institute. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambos says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. 
The Golden Gate Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected into the community and with each other. The Golden Gate Senior Center provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Tatiana Fortune, director of the Golden Gate Senior Center. We want to be able to connect you to whatever service or activity. And even if the person doesn't want to come out for socialization, if they have a question about, um, hey, where do I go for transportation? Where do I go for uh, a certain health care? If they have a need, we are able to point them in that direction through our information and referral service. So we're more than happy to assist in that as well. To find out more, visit CallYourSeniorResources.org. That's CallYourSeniorResources.org. Or call the Senior Center directly at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform. I hope you'll check it out. You can find out more and download the app from the choicesocial.us website. Coming up, we're going to visit with Pastor Kurt Anderson of the Naples Community Church. Right now we have with us William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. William, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure. Tell us about the Cato Institute. You bet. We're a think tank here in Washington, D.C., and we're dedicated to advancing the ideals of a free society at every level of government. Cato.org is the website. And by the way, Merry Christmas to you and your family, William. Merry Christmas to you as well, Bob. Thank, Thank you. So Thank you so much. So it uh, looks like... Hopefully we don't have a Lazarus experience experience here, but it looks it looks like this uh, Build Back Better bill is dead. What are your thoughts? Indeed, we, we might have come to the end of this saga that we've been discussing for many months. Um, and just to refresh your listeners' memories, the Build Back Better bill, that's the roughly $2 trillion so-called social infrastructure measure that effectively has every progressive wish list imaginable. Um, included therein, um, unexpectedly on Sunday, last Sunday on, on Fox News Sunday with Brett Baer, the first one after Chris Wallace left, um, Senator Manchin unequivocally pulled his support for the bill um, and avowedly uh, the reason he did so was twofold. Um, all along, he, he meant what he said when, when he expressed his concern about rising inflation in this country and the need for Congress to take a pause on all this spending. Um, and then the other factor that evidently motivated him uh, was the extent to which he was getting badgered by progressive activists um, and how he, he started to resent that and how Democrat leadership in Congress and the White House was uh, calling him out uh, singularly by name and sort of a fixing blame on him for um, the fact that the bill, this Build Back Better agenda, hadn't passed yet. So between those two factors, um, he, he said he was an unequivocal no um, you know, on the bill. And so that's a very big deal. And uh, immediately it engendered sort of a circular firing squad amongst Democrats um, and in terms of what's next, Senate, uh, it, it's unclear, but uh, shortly afterwards, 
um, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer vowed that they are going to, the Senate is going to vote on this bill throughout January until it passes. And that's a really strange strategy. I mean, he mm-hmm. seems to be, uh, Manchin just expressed his reservations with getting badgered. And Senator Schumer's, Senate Majority Leader Schumer, or his strategy here appears to be to uh, humiliate and to yeah. browbeat Manchin further. Um, but so I'm not quite sure what he's thinking. I'll note this as well with uh, Schumer's strategy here. The process by which he's proceeding with this bill, we've spoken about this before, this reconciliation process that allows Democrats in the Senate to avoid a filibuster. Uh, Part and parcel of that process is that uh, the other side, the Republicans, will have uh, basically free reign when it comes to proposing amendments. Well, in a Senate where you've got 50 Republicans and uh, uh, Joe Manchin, who's being um, spurned in public, who's being denigrated in public by Democrats, that's a dynamic where a number of these Republican proposed amendments to the bill that could utterly reshape the Build Back Better uh, Act, um, they might find the support of Joe Manchin in this context. And that is to say, it's not just a politically risky strategy, I think, to further humiliate uh, Joe Manchin. I think it's a strategically a very risky um, uh, path for Schumer to proceed in, because I think it does expose him to, uh, in essence, Manchin siding with Republicans on a number of serious issues and ultimately changing this bill wholesale. Yeah, so, such interesting uh, observations, uh, William. I appreciate that. The other, the other thing is, uh, I, I think that Manchin is not only uh, the the pressure under the pressure of be- being name name calling and uh, irritating and things that are going on, you know, following in the restroom and making comments and so forth. We've seen that kind of stuff, but also the tremendous financial pressure. I can only imagine the. Th- Threats that have been made for his campaign funding from uh, the uh, Democrat Party. The, uh, of course, his wife was offered a $160,000, $163,000 cushy job, obviously related to uh, garnering his vote for this bill. And I'm sure there's been other lobbyists and others that have approached him looking for his support as well. Well, that's a dual-edged short. So on the one hand, you're exactly right, and there are all sorts of... Uh, uh, levers that Democrat leaders in Congress can pull to, to pressure Manchin, and the same thing for lobbyists. However, as things currently stand, Manchin is the most powerful lawmaker on Capitol Hill. Right. Um, and with that is going to come, uh, uh, a lot of people are going to curry his favor. Uh, I'll put it that way. So, yes, you're exactly right. On the one hand, um, his uh, opposition to this bill will engender a blowback from from his party, from party leadership. On the other hand, um, he's in a pretty darn good place, as politicians go. So, yeah. um, you know, he does hold a lot of cards here. Yeah, he certainly does. And to ask the Schumer's uh, wanting to have continuous votes on this, that really plays into the Republican uh, playbook uh, strategy. I mean, they I think they'd like to identify those people that are supportive of this program and use it in the 2022 election because uh, the public, the polling demonstrates that uh, most people do not support this Build Back Better bill. You're exactly right, and that's what I was getting at when I was talking about the the politically risky nature of Schumer's strategy. It's not just, uh, you know, Manchin, Trump won West Virginia by 40 points in 2020. 
it's the moderates, the other moderates in the Senate, you know, the handful of Democrat um, blue dogs, if you will. By proceeding with this vote, Schumer just makes their, uh, makes their upcoming election that much more difficult. Um, he's exposing them to liability. Um, that, there was actually an interesting article in Wall Street Journal yesterday by Kim Strassel. I recommend your listeners to, 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 to uh, take a look at it. Uh, she points out that Mitch McConnell, for all his faults, was very good at absorbing the blame um, and protecting his moderate senators. What Schumer is doing here is leaving, leaving them exposed. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is, it's going to make their, their lives miserable um, come their next election cycle. And I'll say this as well. All those moderates in the House of Representatives that voted for this bill, they're suffering the same fate. They get nothing out of it. Um, so they took a politically risky vote that is going to expose them to all sorts of negative ads in the next election cycle of 2022. And it's all for naught yeah. um, because, you know, the bill ultimately died the vine in the Senate. So interesting. Hey, before I let you go, William, I want to get your comments on uh, Biden's speech with regard to the COVID, the Omicron virus, uh, and uh, what's uh, I think that's occurred on Tuesday. What are your thoughts? I'll say this. I liked his tone, um, you know, sort of a keep calm and carry on tone. I, 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 I welcome that. Um, and I'll say it evokes Trump. <laughs> um, I don't think it's dissimilar at all from the note that Trump was striking um, throughout the last year of his presidency. Um, so, on the one hand, you know, I do think it, it makes Biden silly or sound silly when in July he declared independence from uh, COVID. Um, but on the other hand, uh, nonetheless, I appreciate the substance of his tone. I appreciate the, the fact that he had a hat tip to the Trump administration for Operation Warp Speed and getting this vi- uh, the vaccine up and running. And uh, ultimately, you know, I agree with him. Um, life has to go on. Um, we have to get back to normal. Um, so uh, the fact that he said lockdowns are out of the question and the fact that I know he's got the head of the teachers union, you know, is very much has his ear. Um, that for me bodes well for next year. You know, I'm, I'm hoping we avoid these lockdowns and whatnot. So I appreciated that. Yeah, well, interesting. You know, he did make a pledge that the 500 million uh, self-testing uh, kits would be sent out to Americans uh, so they could do their own self-testing. Uh, but apparently, <laughs> apparently, no order had been put in. The website to order it hadn't even been put up yet. So, uh, I mean, I think it's uh, a promise that's not going to yield a little fruit going forward for American people. Don't disagree with that. Read that just this morning. So, yes, there appears to be no substance behind his promises for the, the half-billion home testing kits. Um, so, uh, yes, that's ridiculous. Um, nevertheless, I do appreciate his tone of, uh, you know, he wasn't hysterical. And that, uh, by and large, has been the Democrats' take on COVID uh, for the last two years. So, you know, for whatever reason, I mean, you know, perhaps the politics of the situation, um, again, I, I like that aspect of what he said. Yeah, well, uh, I will say that I'm hunkering down for my cold winter of death. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm glad you brought that up, and not to belabor the point, but I do think that was a mistake. I mean, he took an unnecessarily <laughs> grim tone to those who haven't been vaccinated. Um, so, but, but point taken, and I appreciate that. Yeah, so uh, finally, uh, the Supreme Court's going to hear the challenge to ba- Biden's vaccine mandate, and there's been so many challenges up to this point. To me, it looks like the deck is kind of stacked for the Supreme Court to uh, uh, slap this thing down. 
as we've noted before, uh, it's an uphill legal climb for the Biden administration on this vaccine mandate. And uh, yes, as you, the Supreme Court in January is going to consider whether or not to pause the rule um, while the legal challenges take, you know, wend their way through federal courts, which take more than a year. Um, and I'm optimistic here. I mean, we'll see. It's a fool's errand to prognosticate on the Supreme Court. But nonetheless, as we've spoken of before, the history of these rules, of the, this statutory provision that the Biden administration is using, <clears throat> um, courts have looked at it with a jaundiced eye. Mm-hmm. And this is an unprecedented expansion of that power. So it, it does seem uh, it, uh, I am optimistic. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 to have emergency powers that, by the way, let's wait until after Christmas to enforce them. It seems to, <laughs> seems to, seems to kind of takes the edge on the off the immediacy of the of the need of this entire thing. So. Uh, and and uh, the other thing that January 7th will come, they'll hear oral arguments, but this is a pressing issue. Do you think that we'll hear an announcement from the Supreme Court soon after about their decision? We, we, this is, so this is on their emergency doc, docket, um, which means that, yes, we will get a prompt answer, I would expect, by the end of January. And I should note here, you bring up, in essence, the legal case against the vaccine mandate. It's a common sense one. Um, that is to say, it's entirely unreasonable for them to say that this is an, uh, an utmost emergency that has to be done now when, uh, like you say, they pause it until after Christmas. Um, you know, but so... It is very much uh, the, the argument against this mandate. There is a constitutional element, but uh, by and large, it is one of common sense. It's saying that this, that their rationale for this emergency simply doesn't add up. Yeah. William Yeatman, again, research fellow at the Cato Institute. I encourage you to visit the very robust website, cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. William, always appreciate your commentary here on the show, and I wish you and your family and your loved ones a very Merry Christmas. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Bob, and Merry Christmas to you and your family as well. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Pastor Kurt Anderson. He is the uh, pastor of the Naples Community Church. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. 
Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, not only building a new performing arts center in downtown Naples, and it's going to be beautiful, but also bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can get tickets and find out more by visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Marina Berkovich. She is the uh, CEO and founder of the Jewish Historical Society of Southwest Florida. Right now we have with us Pastor Kurt Anderson. Uh, he is the uh, pastor of the Naples Community Church. Pastor Anderson, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure. Oh, thank you, Pastor. Well, first of all, uh, let's start off by asking about the Naples Community Church, its background, and uh, a little bit what makes you so very special. Well, we see our, ch our church as a church in the city for the city. Mm. Um, we don't have a denomination other than the city itself. We look at ourselves as a place that is there to, to serve the community of Naples. And um, so we do that in every way we possibly can. Most of our mission giving, virtually all of it, is local. And, um, and we have a gathering of really magnificent, wonderful people who um, are very committed to the life of the church, life of the community, and of course, to deepening their Christian lives. And so it, it's just a fabulous congregation of people. And, um, and when I say congregation, we, we have kind of a unique sort of approach where we look at the church, which are those who are baptized and confess Christ, but then we look at our con congregation, that's a much larger reality. So we, we have all kinds of people of different faiths and, and uh, approaches to life, and we welcome them all, welcome them all and embrace them fully. Absolutely. Uh, so, uh, uh, Pastor Kurt, I just really appreciate your comments. I mean, this is a time of joy, uh, of new beginnings, the, the birth of Christ. would love to get your comments and thoughts about the meaning and spirit of Christmas. Well, you know, either, either uh, the reality of Christmas is the the fulcrum point of, point of all human history, mm -hmm. or it is not. Either it is a magnificent uh, eruption into human experience by the God who made us, or it is not. And so what, what we celebrate is that which we, we really cannot grasp and fully understand. In other words, two plus two equals four is nothing that we celebrate. But if two plus two equals nine, we would think this is amazing. And that's the reality of Christmas. And that is that, that we, we celebrate something that we can't fully grasp. We celebrate the reality that God took on human flesh and lived with us and 
um, showed us how life is most fully lived and died for us and and uh, and rose for us. So so Christmas is the great miracle of all human time, and that is God taking on human flesh. And that's the source of great joy because we know that we're not alone in this universe. It didn't just sort of um, happen. It was made in an act of love. All of those things are sort of wrapped up in the Christmas celebration. And yeah. even though Christmas is not a large uh, portion of the scriptures, it is, it is huge with respect to being the turning point of all human history. It's also a time of, uh, you know, the, the appreciation of forgiveness of new beginnings as well. I mean, it, it's just where it just follows the shortest day of the year, but the days now start to get longer. In other words, a promise of uh, opportunity and a promise of things to come. Well, you know, and it's, it's all that, and it's also intentionally that. And that is that Christmas was put at this time of year as a subversive element to overthrow the pagan celebrations, which we still celebrate on New Year's Eve. Mm -hmm. But the pagan celebrations that tried to entice the gods to, um, uh, to make the world or the, the earth fertile and to bring forth, bring forth fruit, the fruit of the world. And, and so uh, sort of counter to those pagan celebrations with all of their debaucheries, et cetera, was the celebration of Christmas. So we, we don't know when Jesus was born, but we do know that Jesus was, uh, the celebration of, of Christ's birth was put at this time so as to subvert the pagan realities that were going on, and particularly in the Roman Empire in the fourth century. That is so interesting. And, yeah. uh, and, and of course, uh, Christ suffered. I mean, the, the, his life ended with tremendous suffering for our benefit. Yeah, it, it, it certainly did. And, you know, there's all kinds of <clears throat> poetry and theology about this child who was born to die. And, and the, the, the Christian church, of course, affirms that, that he is the Jewish Messiah as well. And, um, and, and he, was, he came to save humanity from their sins, but, but also from, from a life that was full of fear and anguish. One of the most common repeated phrases, not just of the Christmas story, but throughout the scriptures, is do not fear. Don't fear. You're not alone. We're with you. God is with us. And um, God is with us in the form of his son, Emmanuel, yeah. which, of course, means God, God with us. Yeah, and I think it also celebrates uh, our, our individuality, the fact that uh, it's not just, we're not just the masses, a blob of human existence that uh, perpetuates. It's uh, right. each and every one of us uh, are special in, in the eyes of God. Yeah. I like to um, repeat the phrase every now and then, God, or Jesus never saw a crowd. Hmm. That is, he could have been standing in front of 5,000 people, which he did, and um and yet he was able to see each and every human heart. And in the, um, the fullness of his divine nature with us, even though he, he was also fully human, he was able to um, enter into the, the personal suffering and anguishes and hopes and dreams of, of everyone that he ever met. So he, he never saw a crowd. He only saw individuals. And he, he with that divine love loved each one and, and knew what each one needed in the, in the deepest longings of their heart. Again, Pastor Kurt Anderson, you have a service this evening? 
well, what's tonight? Oh, oh yeah, it's Christmas Eve. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah we have a seven o'clock service down at Sixth uh, Seventh Avenue South, uh, not far from City Hall, and and we just, as I say, we have a, a wonderful time. I try to keep it short because when I was a kid doing going to Christmas Eve services, I was always so hot, and the services went on so long. We try to keep it on the short side. <laughs> And keep it upbeat and positive. Yeah. So again, uh, the uh, I'm looking at the Facebook page for uh, the Naples Community Church. Uh, it's 849 7th Avenue South, just uh, south of where 5th Avenue South and uh, 41 meet. And again, uh, you'll find Pastor Kurt welcoming you right outside, welcoming you for the 7 o'clock service if you choose to. But I will. (laughs) Pastor Kurt, always appreciate you coming on the show so much and appreciate uh, what you bring us. Thanks so much for joining us. Pleasure. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. You as well. Thank you. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Marina Berkovich. She wrote a very interesting book, uh, My Life Through My Dresses, uh, telling the story of her growing up in communist uh, Soviet Russia and then coming to the United States, uh, such an interesting story. I thought it might be important in juxtaposition to uh, the freedom that we have here in the United States to understand uh, through, through Marina uh, what uh, people suffer in communist and uh, socialist types of republics. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you too. School Choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America and is now supported by three out of four voters. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior schools of choice. Optima's goal is the successful launch of Hillsdale College, classical academies, and other schools of excellence serving kindergarten through 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. A terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy opened this fall in a classical virtual school. Optima Classical Academy will open in 2022. Find out more by visiting OptimaEd.org. Help children in Florida optimize their education opportunities. Visit www.OptimaEd.org. Welcome back to the Bob 
Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We have with us Marina Berkovich. Uh, Marina is the president, CEO, and founder of the Jewish Historical Society of Southwest Florida. She's also the author of a terrific read. It's called My Life Through My Dresses, Growing Up Actually in Soviet Russia, the, by, the Journey of Recovering Idealist Series. It says here, Growing Up in Socialist uh, Soviet Russia. Marina, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you very much for inviting me again, Bob. I always love being on your show. Well, thank you. So let's start off by uh, discussing the Jewish Historical Society of Southwest Florida. Tell us about it. Jewish Historical Society is a nonprofit organization uh, determined to preserve the very um, uh, recent trail of uh, Southwest Florida Jewish history. Jews have settled here um, it's one of the last counties, if not the last county, in which the Jews settled in Florida and have created uh, quite a trail by building uh, the, better, the better things in the community over the last 70 years or so, despite the persecution initially um, from the community that did not want Jews living in this region. Um, we uh, were formed in 2010, and we do annual events to celebrate Florida Jewish History Month, which is the month of January coming up. Yeah, and in fact, a real special event coming up. Uh, Jack Nortman is, uh, in fact, I work with Jack on the board of the Gulf Shore Playhouse. He's on that board, but he's also uh, responsible for getting the boxcar uh, from Russia or from uh, Germany, I guess it was, or Poland, to the United States. It's been uh, just an important artifact here in the United States to help people better understand uh, the Holocaust and what's happened. Uh, your special event is coming up on February the 6th. Maybe you can tell us about it. Um, yes, uh, February 6th, Jewish Historical Society has partnered up with the Holocaust Museum and Cohen Education Center uh, to actually honor Jack Northman for his tremendous contribution to the cost of um, uh, uh, education about the Holocaust. He was personally affected by it because both of his parents were um, um, uh, jailed, and actually they were jailed in Soviet Union, and also they escaped from Poland to escape the Nazis. They went to the Soviet Union, and the story is that they went to Siberia, something um, um, equally as uh, horrible as the Nazi concentration camps were. And they were transported in the boxcars. My mom, in fact, was transported in the boxcar during the evacuation, but in different circumstances. Uh, also, you know, with very difficult circumstances, but not as a prisoner. Um, but people who were prisoners were affected for life. Jack was born in the DP camp. He has a fabulous story, and he's never forgotten what the people, predominantly Jewish people, but not exclusively the Jewish people, had been subjected to during the Holocaust era. And he has searched, and his family has searched and found the original authentic boxcar from World War II era. They found it in Europe. They brought it to Naples. It was um, a, a huge uh, celebration of the event when it was first arriving in, in 2008. And since then, uh, boxcar has been able to um, uh, be presented to over 150,000 visitors who 
learned about the Holocaust through that experience. On February the 6th, we're going to have that boxcar at the Hilton Hotel in the parking lot there. Um, and people who are attending the event are going to be welcome to visit it as well. And we're going to have a fabulous um, film presented uh, from the Southwest Florida Jewish uh, Pioneers series. Uh, the boxcar is going to be featured in the film as well as Jack Nortman because it's going to, the film's name is Boxcar Education Giant, referring to Jack Nortman. Well, I look forward to attending. How can we get tickets? The tickets could be purchased on the Holocaust Museum website, which is um, H-M-C-E-C, Holocaust Museum Cohen Education Center dot org. And um, just scroll down to wherever the February 6th event is, and you could just purchase tickets there, purchase tables if you want to become a sponsor. Um, you can actually call me at the Jewish Historical Society of Southwest Florida. So, Marina, I mean, you wrote a book that I've really treasured reading, My Life Through My Dresses, and it talks about growing up in Soviet Russia. And, of course, uh, your, your attire, your dresses meant a lot in terms of how your life changed over your course, uh, the course of your life in Soviet Russia. I mean, we're coming, as Christians, coming up on uh, the celebration of the birth of Christ and uh, a very meaningful time for us during—but uh, in Soviet Russia— uh, you were forbidden from uh, celebrating and uh, practicing your your religion. Everybody, the entire country lived by Lenin's dogma, and all religion was persecuted. In fact, Baptists went to jail during my childhood. I remember their arrests. Um, um, I don't know how I heard of them, but I knew that Baptists were being arrested in the 70s. Um, it was um, uh, the rumors that were spread about it were like going in the underground circles. But Kiev, the city where I grew up, was full of fabulous churches. It's the very first city in um, Russia. Russia started from Kiev. So some of the churches were still there. They survived World War II. They were actually operating. But young people were absolutely forbidden from crossing the threshold of the church during services. Hmm. There were uh, visitors during um, reg regular hours, non-service hours, that were just looking at the uh, paintings and the icons that were there. That was like tourism. And we never, we never were presented religion from the religious perspective, only from Lenin's perspective. Religion is OPM for the masses, like Marx said, and the religion is going to ruin you for the rest of your life. So we're all raised atheists. Some people, the older people, believed it, um, and people from the villages believed it, and they were persecuted for it tremendously. Yeah. However, I remember my experiences as a child, as an atheist child, with religion totally forbidden. I remember my own experiences. I always knew there was some other higher presence. I don't know how I knew it, but I remember praying at the age of 12 or 13 without ever having been witnessing prayers or haven't been taught prayers. I remember like talking to somebody who's above me. I don't know, you know, I don't know if anybody else has ever had that experience, but, yeah. you know, kind of didn't share it because it was, you know, it was a forbidden thing. I learned about Christianity after an episode, after an anti-Semitic episode in my life, uh, because unfortunately the region that I grew up in was extremely anti-Semitic. And um, a man whose daughter insulted me actually came to apologize. Uh, she was my best friend, and we were like eight or nine years old. 
he came to apologize to my mom for having not raised his daughter with an understand with a better understanding of life and then he invited me over to their home and he despite the fear of whatever persecution could have fallen onto his head and I spoke out publicly he explained to me about who Jesus Christ was and he told me that all the Christians should be very mindful that their God was a Jewish man and never offend any Jews. And he said that if all Christians understood this, we would be in a much better world. And I have lived by that um, explanation all of my life, hmm. trying to uh, reconcile whatever the differences, whatever the experiences people have. And um, I love Christmas, and I love the fact that Christians in America always were free to celebrate Christianity in the, in the best possible way, not through, you know, not through gifts, not through, you know, insane shopping sprees that people go on before Christmas, but by, but by actually attending Mass, by actually exposing their children to religion at a very early age. Yeah. And I think that's wonderful because people who grow up with God in their head and God in their hearts, become better people. Well, you know, it is a real privilege here. And uh, the other aspect of this is uh, you're watching right now, of course, during the uh, pandemic, uh, many people have been forbidden for, from worshiping in their house of worship. Uh, people have been locked down. People have had to wear masks and all kinds of things. Uh, it, this seems eerily probably uh, similar to what uh, you may have experienced in Soviet Russia. Uh, what are you seeing right now in, in terms of what's happening in America? I think it's pretty scary that the American people are being very docile about it because the longer you accept that, the longer you are threatened as a religion. So all the people who are religious and observant should actually do what they know they should be doing. They should be attending the church. They should be attending the synagogues, not through Zoom, but in person because the person-to-person -person exposure um, um, of love and humility and a joint purpose is what keeps the religions going. And I think that by attending services, they're going to prove themselves um, more resilient to whatever the uh, socialist dog, uh, dogma is being pushed onto them right now through leftist swings of the Democrat Party. Yeah, and we, uh, I mean, my sense is that uh, we're right now uh, it's kind of like the boiling frog, and right now the heat is getting turned up on the frog, and uh, uh, we're getting closer and closer to experiencing uh, almost an overthrow of our constitutional republic if we're not mindful and not standing up to it. You know, in the Soviet Union, when the Bolsheviks first came into power, it was a very minor incident considering the rest of uh, what, what followed. So during that minor incident, um, the um, the wealthy, the um, uh, better informed and the better educated people sat at their homes and thought that this was a temporary episode and it would pass. It was like a Bolshevik, uh, whatever craziness, it was insanity, it was totally inconceivable, unbelievable, unimaginable. And while they were sitting there complacent waiting for it to pass, it actually became stronger and more organized because uh, what socialists do very extremely well, they play on the sentiments of the people who, um, like in America pretty much, want to um, do the grabbing of whatever the assets that they want to do the grabbing of without working for them. And it happens 
you know, since the socialist revolution in Russia, it has been happening many, many times. Every time it happens by the same formula. They go in, they brainwash the people, the few people that actually do it. Um, then they remove them and, you know, the next generation comes in, they exterminate everybody who's in opposition. So what Americans are actually are doing is sitting quiet in their homes and the next wave is going to eliminate the opposition. Yeah. And we all know that, and um, people who have the experience have known that, and we're very frightful of that. Yeah. And please don't sit at home and wait. Don't wait. Uh, and, and again, uh, be a good citizen. Take responsibility. Uh, this is our republic. It's the people's republic. It's not uh, uh, the uh, uh, political elite that should be uh, running the world. It's it's, it's our government. Again, Marina Berkovich, uh, the name of her book, My Life Through My Dresses. It's a great read. I hope you'll check it out, My Life Through My Dresses. And again, the big event coming up on uh, February the 6th to celebrate the great contributions of Jack Nortman uh, premiering at the Southwest Florida Jewish uh, Pioneers documentary. Marina, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for inviting me. Merry Christmas to you and to your audience. Oh, thank you, Marina. Thank you so much for joining us. All right, uh, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, on uh, Monday, we're going to visit with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We'll be talking about current global events. We'll also visit with Jim McTagg. Jim is a former Barron's Washington bureau chief and author of a couple of great murder mysteries, uh, Shake the Money Tree and uh, also Follow the Leader. I hope you make it a great Christmas. I hope with you or with your loved ones and people that you care about, I hope you celebrate in uh, the way that you do, uh, anyhow, the new beginnings and the birth of Christ, just genuinely appreciate your listening to the show and to your support. Uh, 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 namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.